Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome to Seahawks Forever After Dark. I'm Dan. Thanks for joining me again on the show. Another first four days, four shows, but today's a little bit of the obligatory variety, although I couldn't wait uh, to get an opportunity to talk to you tonight because it is schedule release day. Yet another reminder of how the NFL can make a holiday out of just about anything. They turn the release of the schedule into an event after a day and a half of leaks. Uh, Got to give, uh, here, we need, we need more than that. Hang on here a second. Here we go. No, 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 not that. We don't want laughter. Here we go. <laughs> oh, I'm a little rusty on the sound effects. I paid a lot of money for this mixer. I got to use it as much as I can. Uh, kudos to Corbin Smith of all Seahawks and Locked On Seahawks. You've heard him here on the show with me uh, over the years. Um, as much as anybody who was out there today, he spent the day playing what one person dubbed as uh, Seahawks schedule release clue. And he put, he took all the leaks from all around the league all day long and pieced them together into a graphic throughout the day. And by the time, by the time the official schedule was released, I think he had 15 of the 17 games figured out just kind of, you know, process of elimination based on what was happening around the league. So the schedules are out and, um, and, and what I'm going to do is, uh, you know, we're going to go through not game by game necessarily, but I'm going to break it into chunks or phases. There's really, you know, Pete Carroll's even talked about, especially before they went to 17 games when this, when the schedule was a little more linear and um, now there's four quarters, you know, you take four games at a time. Can't exactly do that, but I do think there is, um, it, there's a way to break this schedule up into four phases and, uh, and look at each of those. And then what I'm going to do is rather than make a hard and fast prediction at this point of exactly how I think every single game is going to go and make a really uh, concrete prediction of how many games I see them winning, because we need to see more, right? We need to see how these rookies play and, and some of the new acquisitions. And, and we'll do that exercise shortly before the schedule or before the season starts. But I am going to give you my thoughts on what I think the optimistically realistic cases, trying to be as balanced as I can. But of course, you know, I see everything through Seahawk colored glasses, right? Uh, sort of the optimistically realistic case versus what I think the worst case scenario could be. We'll take it in those four phases and then we'll total it up at the end. But there's some stuff to get to first. Seahawks were busy today. <laughs> You know, we've talked a lot, um, in particular on this show this week, about how there's more work to be done on the schedule. Uh, did the breakdown of the defensive front in particular, how there's really only five healthy bodies there on the interior defensive line, not including undrafted free agents. Um, and that last year they started with seven on the 53-man roster. Um, and then we brought, so we talked about that sort of, 360 degree view of the defensive line. Then I did the show with uh, John Gilbert, where we broke down the salary cap. And 
what we talked about and others have as well is the idea that uh, the Seahawks may or may not have had just enough money to sign their draft picks, but you need money for practice squad. You need money for contingencies, mid season acquisitions, and that there was still a desire and a, and an obvious need to add another veteran defensive lineman or two. Well, they got right to work on that today. Early this morning, the news broke that Tyler Lockett is having his contract restructured. The Seahawks converted as one of the things we talked about with John Gilbert the other day that he didn't actually see. He saw it as one of the possibilities, certainly one of the tangible options, but he didn't see it as, as the most viable option because of Lockett's age. But the team must be pretty confident that Lockett's going to continue to be productive for the next couple of years because after what they did today, converting some of his salary to bonus, clearing $5.7 million in cap space, they also moved some of that dead cap hit out into future years, and that's really going to hit in 2024. Uh, but they did that, and it cleared enough room. According to overthecap.com, they had over 11-something million dollars in cap space today. Um. But also it was announced that Jackson Smith and Jigba became the, the highest draft pick so far, the first first rounder to sign his contract. So the Seahawks now have signed three of their draft picks. Kenny McIntosh, their seventh rounder, Mike Morris, defensive lineman out of Michigan, fifth round pick, and also JSN. So with all of that being done, there's a little more breathing room. Um, and then the Seahawks went out and used some of that money and they signed a guy that I talked about on this show just a few days ago as well. When we talked about defensive line options, Mario Edwards, long history here. They brought Edwards in for a visit last year before the season started. Edwards ended up signing in Tennessee instead, former second round pick of the Raiders in 2015, six, three, two eighty six seems to fit based on all the, the analysis I've read as that. 3-4 defensive end. Um, very consistent player, mostly durable in his career, not a flashy player. He has 19 and a half sacks in his career. But it's, uh, it's, it's kind of funny. Other than the second season, 2016, when he only played in two games due to injury, he's never had more than four sacks in a season, but never less than two. And this, this brought up the question, um, certainly among the fans today, of A, why Edwards instead of Shelby Harris, uh, the veteran defensive lineman who was acquired in the Russell Wilson trade last year, uh, released in a salary cap, cap move. But Carolyn Schneider at different times had said they'd be open to bringing Harris back. He doesn't seem to have had a market yet. Hasn't taken any visits officially that we know of. Certainly hasn't signed yet when other guys have. Puna Ford, who's younger, and seemingly had a better market, just signed a deal. It was uh, The numbers finally came out today with the Buffalo Bills for less than $4 million on his one-year deal. So you would think that Shelby Harris would cost less than that. So is there a scenario in which they could bring him back still also? Sure. But he and Edwards are such similar players in build and style that this would seem to preclude um, – a Shelby Harris signing. And, and then if the Seahawks are going to bring in another veteran, it might be someone who's who's more of a traditional nose tackle, zero technique or one technique, uh, interior defensive tackle type to go along with Cameron Young, at least until Brian Monet gets healthy, if that happens this year. So why Edwards instead of Harris? Michael Sean Duger did a really nice job of uh, putting this together in a piece today. I'm going to read directly from it, comparing Harris and Edwards last year. 
2022, Harris played in 562 snaps for the Seahawks, had 44 tackles, eight pressures, two sacks, six quarterback hits, and five tackles for loss, according to Pro Football Reference. Edwards, who is two years younger than Harris, played in 464 snaps for the Tennessee Titans, started seven games, had 17 tackles, 14 pressures, three sacks, 11 QB hits, and four tackles for loss. So he had fewer tackles overall, but much better numbers rushing the quarterback. So I think exactly the kind of player they needed to add to this group, a veteran presence, a guy who's steady, reliable, um, inexpensive to go along with the rookie Mike Morris and uh, Jaron Reed, Draymond Jones, free agent additions, and then the rookie Cam Young. Then that whole group of undrafted guys too. So they needed to add another veteran. They did. Does that make you feel a little bit better about that defensive line group? You still looking for one more addition? I've heard a lot of talk about Frank Clark, and my my reaction to that would simply be this. I don't know that he fits on the roster right now. He's not a 3-4 defensive end. And so if you figure he's an outside linebacker, I just don't know that he fits. Is he going to take snaps away from Uchenna Nwosu, Daryl Taylor, Boye Mafe, Derek Hall? I don't know. Carol did talk a lot today on a radio show about how they're going to play 3-4 and 4-3 principles. Um, really admitted that it's a hybrid and, and you'll see both fronts. Clark may be able to fit in a rotational role if his market comes down to where it makes sense. I just think that at some point before training camp, or maybe into it if there's an injury, that someone's going to pay Clark uh, still even uh, some fairly significant money. So I, I really don't see that as an option. There's other guys out there. We've talked about them. But Edwards was certainly one of them that made a lot of sense, and they got that done today. All right, let's take a look at the schedule, shall we? And again, as I said, we're going to break it down into sections. And it starts like this. I they 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 start with a home opener against the Rams. Happy about this. Always love starting at home. And I had some people say, man, I, I don't really like that Rams game at home because they still have Stafford, Donald, and Cup. To which my reaction was, yeah, they have those three, but what else do they have? I take this as a positive. I think starting out at home, crowd's going to be going crazy. Lots of excitement. Uh, Bobby Wagner's first Game back as a Seahawk. Geno Smith fully entrenched now as a starting quarterback with his new deal running out of the tunnel. Although I would I would guess that the defense will probably be introduced for that first game so that Bobby can get his moment. Um, lots of excitement about seeing the new rookies and unveiling that that improved offense and see what we're going to have on defense. And, and the Rams are going to be a lot of dudes that we haven't heard of and that haven't played yet and haven't played together yet coming out of preseason. I think it's a good time to catch the Rams in a home opener and a chance really, you know, a chance to kind of send a message that, uh, you know, their run is over and that, um, you know, they're full on in a rebuild and, and we're on the way up. Uh, then week two, they go to Detroit. Very similar, getting Detroit in Detroit early in the season. There's going to be a lot of hype about this team. It'll be, this, this is a fascinating week two game. Tremendous amount of hype 
about the Lions, the way they finished last year, how well they played, winning at Green Bay, even though they had been eliminated from the playoffs, to eliminate the Packers and get the Seahawks into the playoffs. How well they were playing for Dan Campbell at the end of the year. And then they went out and had what I thought was a really dynamic draft. As much as the first round kind of didn't make sense at the time, as I said the other day, when you look at their full list of draft picks, that's a good class. Um, it's going to be interesting. They're going to be coming off of a high, though. They open, they are the opponent for the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, that Thursday night opener. Detroit goes to Kansas City. Sure, they'll get they'll get 10 games to prep for the Seahawks, but they're going to be coming off a very emotional game. It'll be fascinating. That'll be a real early test of that Seahawks defense uh, with all the different interesting weapons that that Lions team is going to have. And then uh, come back home again to play the Panthers, presumably with a starting rookie quarterback at the helm. And then they have Monday night football at the New York Giants, another team that's going to have tremendous expectations. I tweeted out Peter King's uh, power rankings the other day that had the Seahawks, I think, 12th and the Giants 8 or 9-ish, and a lot of people had a problem with that. Um, you know, we'll, we're going to know more about that Giants team by the time week four comes around. But the thing I do like about this is it's an East Coast trip where weather's not going to be a factor because it's early enough in the season, and it's not a 10 a.m. kickoff because it's a Monday night football game. And the Seahawks' Pete Carroll's record under the lights is pretty strong too. And then a week five bye. <sighs> None of us really like the early bye, right? You prefer it to be middle of the season, give guys a break, uh, split the season up, chance to heal up, recuperate. Typically don't like the really early bye. In this case, on this roster, I'm not sure it's a terrible thing because so many young players... And the stage can get big and the moment can get big and there's a lot going on and they're going to be coming off <laughs> a Monday night football game. Like there's a lot to take in. That might be a really, really good time to reset the young guys and let them kind of take a breath and soak things in and get ready for the next phase. And if there are issues on that defense, fitting some of those new guys up front into the scheme, if there are some of the sim similar struggles that we've seen over the last couple of years might give them a chance to reset that a little bit too. So those first four games, that's the first phase, the first four and then the bye. And the way I look at that is, is this, I think, you know, as I promised you the realistically optimistic scenario, sure. They could go four and oh, if I wanted to be a homer, I could just sit here and, and pound my chest and say, well, I think they're going to win all four of those games. And they certainly could. I think three and one is a, realistic, yet still slightly optimistic scenario. Worst case scenario, I think, is two and two. I don't think they they lose more than two of those games. Maybe if the Lions are rolling and that stadium is going to be, it's going to their home opener. Remember? Coming off playing at Kansas City in week one, that dome's going to be loud and rocking and, the, and that city's excited for this team. That could be a tough one. Plus, they just have so many different ways they could beat you. It's going to be questions for them on defense. A lot of new pieces of the secondary to work in there. Um, but that'll be an interesting one. But Rams and Panthers at home, those are games that they should win. Uh, so let's say 3-1 and one is the realistic outlook. 2-2 two and two worst case scenario. 
Then we go to the second phase. And this one, and one thing I'll say at the outset is I like the balance in this schedule. We've had some over the last couple of years that were very backloaded with home games or front-loaded with home games, or you'd have long stretches where you'd have five, six weeks without a home game. This year's very spaced out. I don't think there's any longer than a three-week stretch without a home game. Um, and, and, and that's different than we've seen over the last couple of years. So phase two, coming off the bye, you travel to Cincinnati and play the Bengals. We're playing this entire division now, right? The AFC North. And the Bengals have been, obviously, one of the top teams in the AFC the last couple of years. I don't expect them to be anything less this year. Um, that's obviously going to be a tough one. And coming into that game, the Bengals are coming off three straight games against the Rams, Titans, and Cardinals. That could work in the Seahawks' favor. If the Bengals are going into week six and they haven't really been tested, haven't really had any emotional games, I don't know, maybe... Maybe they look past the Seahawks a little bit coming off a bye. Uh, but that's obviously going to be a tough one. Then they get the Cardinals at home. Probably still week seven, I would imagine. Still no Kyler Murray. Coming off that ACL late in the year. Um, and then Browns at home. So back-to-back home games, games against the Cardinals and Browns. Then at Ravens, that's going to be fascinating. How's that run defense going to be at the mid at the midway point? Right? How are you going to defend Lamar Jackson? They've got better better weapons there now. Got Zay Flowers in the draft, OBJ. Uh, that'll be an interesting test. And then Commanders at home at Rams in week 11. So that's the next phase, right? Obviously, Bengals would be a great test for that young secondary and the pass rush. See where it is by then. Cardinals, Browns, Commanders, Rams. It's a winnable stretch. So I'm going to say optimistically, realistically, four and two during that stretch. Worst case scenario, you can make an argument that it's that it's worse than this, but I'm going to say three and three. If you lose to the Bengals, you lose to the Ravens, maybe you drop one of those other four that you're not expecting to drop. That's the NFL. I think worst case scenario in that stretch is three and three. Then we get into kind of <laughs> the third phase, third quarter-ish of this season is Murderer's Row. This is where we're going to find out if we haven't already up until that point. Really, what kind of team this is. And when they come out of this gauntlet, we're going to know if they have a shot at the division and where they sit as far as the playoffs go. Because week 12, Thanksgiving Day, 49ers at home. And then they turn around week 13 at Dallas Thursday night football. Now, there was a lot made this morning. Tyler Lockett tweeted out, according to my sources, we're going to play three games in 12 days at one stretch. And people went nuts. By the way, that sound you hear in the back is my my best buddy, Butch, playing with cat toys. Um, <laughs> it's usually pretty quiet, but he's he's a little excited that I'm home. So a lot was made of that. 12 games in three days. That's ridiculous. That's it's it's a lot more common than you think. And I think once this word started to get out there, people understood. It's no different than playing a Sunday game followed by a Sunday game, and then you're on Thursday night football four nights later. That's three games in 12 days. It's just that this time around, it's going to be a Thursday game followed by a Thursday game or coming out of a Sunday game followed by two Thursday games. 
But then you get that mini buy. And this is another reason I don't mind, I guess, that week five buy. Because at week 13, coming out of the Dallas game now, you're going to have 10 days to recover from that before you travel back to the 49ers again. So I didn't look it up, but I feel like it's been a long time since they've had this. I, I seem to recall this has happened with the, the Cardinals and the Rams with them at a couple of different times, but not the 49ers. Twice in three weeks. Uh, so 49ers at home, at Dallas, at 49ers, and then you come home week 15 to play the class of the NFC, the Philadelphia Eagles. That's the third phase of this schedule. 49ers, Dallas, 49ers, Eagles. Wow. As I said, we'll likely determine division and playoff seating. Are they in the division? Do they have a shot? What's that 49er quarterback situation going to look like, like by then? How good is Dallas going to be? Are the Eagles going to be rolling by then? Are they going to be in cruise control by then? How good are the rookies for Seattle? How in sync is that offense? How's the offensive line working? Is Evan Brown starting at center? Is Ola Watimi take the job by then? Is Anthony Bradford the starting guard by then? So the range here, range of possible outcomes here is all over the place, obviously. But I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it really conservative. I'm I'm gonna say best case scenario, realistic scenario, two and two. And obviously, as much as it pains me to say, the worst case scenario on this stretch is at 0 and 4. These are four quality teams that went out. Well, I don't think that Dallas is a better roster than they were last year at this at this time. We'll see where they, where they are when that comes around, but um, always a tough place to play down there. And then you finish up week 16, 17, and 18, and this is pretty forgiving, which is why if, if you can get through that section in, in decent shape and be two and two, you're probably in good shape. Because then week 16, you're at the Titans. Then you get the Steelers at home on New Year's Eve. That's going to be fun. And you finish at Arizona week 18, which is a beautiful time to travel to Arizona. I'm booking my flight now. Lots of questions here. What are the Titans going to be week 16? I'm guessing Will Levis is probably playing quarterback at that point. Is Derrick Henry still on their roster? Is he traded before the deadline? Are the Cardinals mailing it in? Are the Steelers out of their race? I am not a Kenny Pickett believer. I'm just not. Doesn't scare me. So in that case, I think I, I think you can look at three wins there to finish out the season. Which is a, a very favorable finish because if you do get beat up in that third phase, you got a chance to bounce back from it. Worst case scenario, maybe the Titans are still in a playoff hunt. Tannehill's still playing. Henry's still running over people and they're a solid football team. Two and ones, worst case. So what are the two ranges then? My optimistically realistic uh, record would be 12 and five. Um, you know, you can, again, we're going to get more detail on this right before the season starts. You can make an argument that, it, you know, there's, uh, you're being a little optimistic. Maybe it's closer to 10 and seven. I think, I think this is a good football team. I think the offense is going to be significantly better, and I think that defense is going to find a way. And, and even if there's still some scheme issues and some assignment issues, that team is going to be young and fast 
and hungry with just enough veteran leadership. Worst case scenario, if that third phase really goes off the rails, they go on four there, they lose a couple of those other swing games that we talked about, seven and 10. But I don't think anybody, I really don't. I, I don't think anybody other than maybe 49er fans sees this as a seven and 10 team. So I think your your realistic range based on this schedule and the schedule alone which is all we have to go on right now, somewhere in the 10 to 12 win range. An improvement over last year, which tracks because I think it's a better roster overall. And it gives you a shot to not only make the playoffs, uh, but it gives you a shot at the division. Uh, my favorite game on the whole schedule is the opener. Bobby's return is going to be awesome. You know, seeing all those rookies for the first time, how JSN works into that offense, the combination of Ken Walker and and uh, Charbonnet, um, and a chance to make the statement against the Rams. I think I think that's a lot of fun. The worst game I think could be that Dallas game coming off the high of Thanksgiving against the 49ers at home. Traveling to Dallas, playing in front of 100,000 people on a second straight Thursday game. Third game in 12 days. Certainly will take a toll. Um, that's a tough one. I think I, that's, that's the one I like the least. Thanks for tuning in so late at night. Tell me what you think about the schedule. What's your favorite game? What's the one that scares you the most or that you just don't like? Bitch about the schedule. Tell me what you think their record's going to be. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Got a couple of cool shows coming up. Griffin Sturgeon of the Seattle Overload Podcast will be joining me on Monday. And we have a lot to talk about after what Carol divulged today about the scheme. We're going to talk X's and O's and Seahawks defense. And the next Wednesday, Jackson Bevins of the Cigar Thoughts Podcast will join me. And we'll talk about uh, his thoughts on the draft and the offseason as we head into it. And uh, by then... We're going to have uh, gotten a look at some of the rookies as rookie minicamp um, happens this weekend. So we'll know a little bit more about how some of those players look. Until then, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening. Remember, like this video on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. We've seen tremendous growth over the last couple of weeks, uh, closing in on that goal of 1,000 subscriptions. The best way you can support the show and the channel is to subscribe on YouTube. Until then, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.